Okay, let's pray again as we come to read from God's Word. (laughs) Sorry, Kate. (laughs) Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been reading together as a church. Thank you that you've spoken, and I pray you would move again mightily as we read from Matthew chapter 21. I pray you teach us to pray and teach us not to be greedy this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here last week, you will remember we read from Matthew chapter 21 and we saw Jesus approach Jerusalem and enter the city of Jerusalem as king. The crowds were shouting Hosanna to the son of David and they were laying down their cloaks for Jesus to walk on. Well, what is the very first thing that Jesus will do after this amazing arrival in Jerusalem, according to Matthew's gospel? He's come to the capital of Israel finally. He's come to Jerusalem. What will he do? Well, the answer is he will go to the temple and furiously react to the greed and prayerlessness he discovers in that place. Isn't that that's a strange, surprising thing for Jesus to do? The first he's arrived as king, he's been welcomed as king, and the first thing he does is he goes to the temple and furiously reacts to the greed and prayerlessness he finds in that place. Well, why was Jesus righteously angry in this moment? And how does his zeal impact our lives today? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to read to you from Matthew 21, verses 12 to 17. And the words will appear on the screen behind me. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. A short passage, but lots in there for us to think about together. And the first thing I want us to see in that passage is that Jesus is zealous that, that God's house be a place of prayer. Jesus is zealous that there will be prayer in the house of God. Jesus comes to the temple, doesn't he? And he is appalled at what he finds. He isn't unmoved. It's not that he's not bothered. He clearly is bothered at what he sees when he comes to the temple. He's, he's, deep, he's deeply moved. He's appalled. He's furious at what he discovers in the temple of God. He drives the people out. And in other Gospels, we read that he uses a whip to do this. He gets a whip and he drives these people who are buying and selling in the temple out of the place. And he overturns the tables. I wonder what you would think if, if someone walked in right now and started flipping over the tables and throwing the chairs and in anger driving us out of the room. You would think something, either that person is mad or you'd think that something is terribly, terribly wrong with what we're doing in this place. He's zealous. He's passionate in this passage that God's house be used as it's meant to be used. 
That's his zeal. That's his passion that God's house be used as it's meant to be used. And he says in verse 13, doesn't he? My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. You're buying and selling and effectively stealing from people. That word robbers, that's what it means, doesn't it? There's theft happening in the temple courts. And so you can see, firstly, that Jesus is zealous that this house be a place of prayer. Now, I want everyone to know Jesus is passionate about prayer. And the temple is supposed to be the place in Jerusalem where people come to pray, to meet with God, to speak to their father in heaven. And Jesus is passionate about that. He's passionate that people meet with his father in heaven. And that's not what he finds in this place. And that's why he's so angry. That's why he's so furious. Jesus is passionate about prayer. He's zealous for people to meet with and speak with God the Father in genuine relationship in prayer. Do you know he's passionate for you? He's zealous for you that you would meet with God the Father in prayer and have a genuine relationship with him. And do you know how I know that he's passionate and zealous for that? It's not just this story where he goes into the temple. It's because it was a central part of his mission when he came to earth. Human beings, Every one of us at one stage were alienated from God the Father, distant from him. He he was far off from us, but he wasn't far off from us because he had wandered off. He was far off from us because we had wandered off. We'd ignored him. We hadn't spent time in prayer. We hadn't worshipped him. We hadn't acknowledged him. We hadn't obeyed his commands. And so every single one of us at one stage in our lives was far off from God the Father You know, in Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says this. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call upon him while he is near. But the truth is, all of us at one stage hadn't listened to that command. We hadn't sought the Lord. We hadn't called upon him while he was near. Instead, we'd wandered in our own direction, thought there was no God, or thought if there was a God, he he wasn't worth seeking. He wasn't worth having a relationship with. All of us were at one time alienated, far off, distant from God. If you're not a Christian here or you're watching online, I want to ask you a question. Have you sought God? Have you called to him? There is still an opportunity for you. He he will respond if you call out to him. He He will come to you if you seek him. But all of us at one stage hadn't done that. All of us were far off, estranged from God. And when Jesus came, he came with a ministry of reconciliation. He came as a mediator between mankind and God the Father to bring those of us who were far off back into relationship with the Father who reigns over all, the creator of the universe, the God of the universe, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is called the Word of God in John chapter 1, comes down to earth on a mission to bring us into relationship with God the Father. He dies on the cross to remove sin, that barrier that separated us from the Father. And he announces that all who place their trust in him can be reconciled to God the Father, can have a relationship with God the Father, can pray to God the Father. So Jesus is zealous 
for prayer. He's zealous for you to be reconciled to God the Father. He's passionate. He's so passionate he died for it upon the cross. That's how much he wants you to have a relationship with God the Father. And so when he walks in the temple and sees what's going on and the buying and the selling and and everything that's just wrong, this is not a place of prayer. This is a place of profit. It makes him angry when things get in the way. It makes him angry that things get in the way of our relationship with God the Father. And that's why Jesus is zealous that the house of God be a house of prayer. Well, let's think about how that applies to our lives today. Do we need to get on a plane, fly to the temple, fly to Jerusalem and go to the temple, which is just a wailing wall now, and pray in that place? Do we need to make that a house of prayer there? Is that that way we apply that? I can see Chris shaking his head. He's the only one. Everyone else is going, oh, maybe. Maybe I need to get on a plane and fly to Jerusalem. Well, when we think about the temple in the New Testament, there are three ways in which the New Testament transforms the way we think about the temple and the way we think about prayer. So the first way the New Testament transforms our understanding about the temple is we're taught that Jesus is the new temple. In John 2 verses 19 to 22, let me read to you these verses. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. So there was a building, a physical building where the people would go to meet with God the Father. But Jesus in that passage says, I'm going to I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, destroy it and it will come. back." And he's talking about himself. And what he's saying is, I'm the new temple. I am the one through whom you now meet with God the Father. You don't have to physically go to the temple. You come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, we pray in Christ. We pray through Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ because we're not physically going to the temple to meet with the Father, but we know that Christ has made a way. He is the way that we get to God the Father. How is it that me, a man who is often selfish, proud, foolish, undoubtedly insignificant in the billions of people who live on this earth. How is it that I can call out to God, the one who authored it all, who created all things? That's that's crazy to think about. And if you think about the billions of people on earth, even if I was a good man, it would be crazy that I could call call upon God. But but as, as undoubtedly insignificant, how is it that God would hear me when I pray? Well, it's through Christ. Christ is the one who has made a way. Christ is the one who, who brings the sinner that is Duncan and says, come into the presence of God the Father. I've died for you. You come blameless as a child of God. It's through me. And that's why we pray through Jesus Christ to the Father, because he's the one who has made a way. He died on the cross so that I and all who trust in Christ could speak with the Father. So we don't need to think, I must go to the temple But we do think this. Wow, Christ has opened the way. He is the temple through which I meet with God the Father. Through him, I can come before the throne of grace and have relationship with the Father. I must take advantage of what Jesus has done. That's the the first way we must apply this text is to go, Jesus is the perfect temple who has made a way. I'm so grateful. I must take advantage of what he has done. 
So Jesus is described as the new temple in the New Testament. But secondly, individual Christians are called temples of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know this? If you're a Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian who believes in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within your heart. You are a temple in that sense because God is in you. And so when we see in Matthew 21 how zealous Jesus is that the temple be a house of prayer, we ought to be challenged and think about ourselves as temples of God. Jesus is zealous that your life be a house of prayer since you are the temple. And so I want to call us to examine ourselves this morning. What would Jesus zealously drive out of me this morning that I might be prayerful? If, if Christ was to come and this room represented your heart and your life, what would have to be driven out that you would become a more prayerful individual? For me, it's getting my priorities right. It's the busyness of life and it's pride that sometimes keeps me from prayer. I look at my to-do list and I think, oh, I've got loads of things to do. That, that list is way longer than I've got hours in the day. And I'll go, oh, what's the thing that I should do first? Well, on Sunday, I've got to preach a sermon. So I'll go straight to that. I just write my, I'm just going to write my sermon. Let's get cracking on that immediately. Because people are going to be there on Sunday and they'll see me. And I'll look like a complete idiot if I stand up and I have nothing to say. So I labour on studying the Bible and crafting a sermon. But I have to ask myself, have I laboured at prayer? Am I, I'm labouring at writing the sermon, but have I labelled at prayer? Do you see what I'm doing if that's the way I behave? I'm prioritising sermon writing and my work over time spent with God asking him to work. I've got my priorities in the wrong order. The busyness of life is forcing out prayer. And you know, worst of all, that is just pure pride, that way of doing things. That order, that that way of doing things is pure pride. Because what I'm really saying is the most beneficial thing for Christchurch Fairham is that I would preach a really, really good sermon and it would be the very best one. And that is not true at all. What is the best thing for us as a church? It's that God would work and God would move and he would speak and he would lead us and guide us. And so it's just pure pride that I would push out prayer in favour of doing something on my to-do list. You can think of what it is for your life. Probably not sermon writing, but perhaps parenting. I've got so much to do looking after my children. I've just got to crack on and get it done. But have you prayed for your children? Because what's more important, that you get your jobs done as a parent or that God moves in the hearts of your children and and changes their lives? Or or maybe it's your occupation, your job. I've got to get to work really early, impress my boss, work really, really hard. I've got to do it. That's the most important thing. Actually, actually, is that really the most important thing? Or is it that you know the presence of God the Father, of God in your life, and actually he will bless you at work? I tell you the truth, when I worked in digital marketing, it was when I prayed for my job that I enjoyed the most success. Like when, when people were going, how did you save that client? And I genuinely said, 
I prayed. <laughs> I, I was sure they were out the door and I prayed and suddenly they changed their mind and they came. And I really believe that. Like, If you want to thrive in your jobs, then prayer is the great thing. But that's not why we pray. We don't pray that we would thrive in our jobs. We pray because we love relationship with God the Father that Christ has opened up. I'm praying that Christ would come now and drive out pride from the temples of our lives. Drive out busyness even from the temples of our lives. Get our priorities in the right order. And we know that speaking with our Father in heaven is the most glorious thing we can spend our time doing. Jesus is zealous for our prayer lives because he enjoys such close relationship with his Father and he wants us to have the same. He is the king of love. It's not that he he demands things of you. It's that he loves you and he wants you to enter into this glorious, glorious relationship. So we pray through Christ, the new temple, and we're challenged to be prayers individually because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, under this heading of the temple, we know that the church, Christians together, is the temple of God. When I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verse that I read to you, um, I, I said that you can see in that text that our bodies, our individual bodies, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We read it individually, and there's nothing wrong with that. It is to be read individually. But did you know all the yous in 1 Corinthians 6 are plural yous? They're not you, they're y'all in American. So it's you all. It's speaking to us together. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not individuals, but together we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us as one big temple. And actually, in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Peter talks about us being built together as a spiritual house. We're being built together as a new temple where the Holy Spirit would reside. So we are the house of God. Not this building, because this is just a school. But if we, even if we met in a, in a church building, that wouldn't, that's not the church. That's just a building where the church meets, because we are the church. And so when we gather, the Holy Spirit is there present, because the Holy Spirit lives in the temple, the house of God, where Christians gather together. There is the temple and there is a place that should be a house of prayer. Jesus is zealous that the church be a house of prayer. So Sundays we we pray and we want to encourage people to pray from where we are. I'm I'm so grateful when we have people who just organically kind of pray out because we want this to be a, a place of prayer. Sometimes we lead from the front in prayer, but we're the people of God. So we all lead in prayer. We have prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, prayers for us, prayers for the town of Fairham, prayers for the world, prayers for places like Ukraine, prayer for our leaders, prayers for our people, prayers for the politicians in this country. Short prayers often are really great when we gather together. It doesn't have to be the most fancy, glorious, wonderful prayer you've ever prayed. It can just be, thank you, God, that you love us. That's a fantastic prayer that makes us live out being the temple of God at the house of prayer that Jesus wants for us. On Sundays, we want to be a place of prayer. In our life groups, we want that to be a house of prayer when we gather in home groups and life groups. Whenever we meet, if you go for coffee for, with someone else in the church, do you say, hey, we've, we've had a great chat. Let's just say a really short prayer at the end. And you can keep your eyes open. You don't have to look weird in the, temp- in the coffee shop that everyone's looking at you. But just make time for prayer when you gather together. And of course, we have our prayer meetings once a month, the first Tuesday of the month. And can I say... Do everything you can to be there. If you can make it to the prayer meeting on the first Tuesday of the month, do everything you can to be there because that is us being the church that Jesus wants us to be. That is us praying together. That's the church that Jesus is zealous for. 
Some people come and just join in with the prayers of others. They don't pray out loud themselves. They just say amen to others' prayers. And that's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. We'd love you to come along and do that. So my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that the Lord would make us a house of prayer as Christ desires. So that's my first point. Jesus is, I know I've done multiple points, but that's my first point. Jesus is zealous for our prayer lives. Secondly, from this story of Jesus entering the temple, I want us to see that Jesus is righteously angry at greed. Righteously angry at greed. Instead of prayer, people buying and selling. Primarily, they were selling animals to be used as sacrifices within the temple. He's angry at the money changers. You come, if you're an Egyptian, you come and give in your Egyptian coin and you, you change it for shekels that you can use within the temple. He's angry at the pigeon selling. I don't know why the pigeons are the animals that he chooses to mention specifically. Perhaps because my wife hates pigeons and it's for her specifically. But, you know, you can imagine coming in and just pigeons flying everywhere. It's loud. It's horrible. Do you know where they were in the temple? They were in the court of the Gentiles. If you were a non-Jew, this is the furthest you could go into the temple. So this was the place where you could pray. This is the place for you to pray. And there's pigeons and sheep and money changers. Basically, it's a courtyard of profits, not of prayer. So what were the Israelites doing? They were basically saying, if you're not a Jew, there's no place for you to pray. There's nowhere for you to go to have a relationship with God. This is where we make our money in this court. And then we go on to the next courtyard where we might be able to pray and and do such things. This greed means the nations have nowhere to go where they can pray in peace. And I wonder how much greed harms the mission and the message of the church today. I wonder... Well, as we think about greed and the temple, we can, do this, we can work this out the same way we worked out when we were talking about prayer. And so when we think about Christ as the temple, the first thing we can say is that Jesus is the new and perfect temple. In Christ, there is no greed at all. This courtyard does not represent who Christ is as the temple. This is a place of greed, but in Christ, there is no greed at all. Jesus did not come because he needed something from us. Because he was greedy for something from us. Rather, he came to generously give of himself. God does not need anything from us. God is not a needy God. There is no greed in God, but radically generous love. He didn't didn't create you because he needed you. He created because his love overflowed in creating the world and you and me. He's a radically generous God. If your perception of church is that churches are money grabbers, that's either because your perception of the church is wrong and my experience is that churches are wonderfully generous, full of wonderfully generous people who do amazing things in the world. It's either because your perception is wrong or it's because Christians are hypocrites and they prioritise money way more than they ought to in which case they are not representing God. It certainly isn't, isn't because God is greedy or needy that you've got that impression of church. God isn't greedy or needy. He's the life giver. He's the salvation giver. And Christ did not come in greed. He came to give his life upon the cross. So last week we saw that Christ is righteous, that he has salvation, that he's humble. And this week we see in him that there is no greed at all. He is perfect. He is glorious. He is wonderful. Well, then we need to think about ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, is there any greed in me? 
Do you know, I believe that most Christians in this country have a problem with greed. We live in nice houses. Whether they're rented or bought, we're pretty well off for accommodation, particularly when you compare our circumstances with people around the world. We fill our houses with possessions and things. Expensive technology, large phone contracts, TV packages, more things than we really need. And we still want more. We still want more. Do you know the psalmist who wrote Psalm 23 said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What was he saying? If I have Christ as my shepherd, I will not want for more than that. We're greedy for food as well, eating more than we ought to. Or perhaps we're greedy for power and influence. We aren't content people sometimes. We aren't satisfied people. And how often do we deny our desires for food or deny our desires for things in order to pray and to be generous to others? I've heard the story of the rich young ruler preached multiple times. This is a guy who comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, sell everything you own and come follow me. Get, sell everything you own, give to the poor and come follow me. And normally when you hear sermons on that passage, the preacher spends a long time trying to explain why that command doesn't apply to us today in the church. Have you ever heard a sermon like that? Now I can understand completely why they're doing that. But do you know what I don't think I've ever heard? Is this message. Possessions are dangerous. They can become idols that keep us from following Christ with our whole hearts. That's why he had to give up his stuff, because his wealth was an idol and was keeping him from following Christ. And actually, I think the same is true for us, that possessions, greed, wealth can be dangerous in our lives. If that becomes what we're seeking after, greed is dangerous. I would ask the question, how many of us have sold one thing in order to give money to the poor and follow Christ? You know, maybe you've withheld and not bought something, but I wonder whether you've sold one thing and not something that you just wanted to give to a charity shop anyway. Something that actually, you know, this is hurting, selling this and giving to the poor. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. So we're instructed in the Bible to put greed to death, to murder greed in our lives, to fill our lives with the knowledge of the glory of God and think, how can I idolise money and possessions when I have God? How can I yearn after more things than I already have when I have Jesus, my humble, righteous, greedless king? If you want to put to death greed, then fill your mind with how awesome God is and the fact that he is with you always. But also, as we're overwhelmed by the grace and forgiveness and presence of God in our lives, let us also take action. If you think you're greedy for possessions, maybe it's time to sell something and be radically generous. If you're greedy for food, maybe it's time to try fasting. Fast a lunch, have breakfast and dinner and miss a meal and pray. And then try 24 hours of fasting teaching yourself that greed is not what you live off, food is not what sustains you, but God is the one who sustains you. In the grace of God, take action to put greed to death. Now, what I'm not saying is that food and possessions are evil. We're going to have a great church lunch after this meeting, so don't fast that meal, but because we're doing that together. God gives us good gifts in our lives, but just know that they are dangerous. 
if they become the number one thing. They take over, take over our lives and they can push out God. And sometimes our heart's desire can be for more stuff, not more of God. And that's not where I want to be as a Christian. And I pray it's not where you want to be as a Christian. We desire more of God in our lives day by day. And so perhaps we need to examine ourselves. What greed does Christ need to drive out of you? Finally, let's think about church as the temple of God. We want to be generous as a church. We give to the poor in Southeast Asia through our friend Andrew. We serve people in our midst who are struggling. We give to Commission, which is the family of churches we're part of, to support proclamation of the gospel in the UK, but also around the world. And we want to see our finances used to love people on our doorstep as well. I don't think we've quite got this right yet as a church, um, but there's a big desire. Even this week in the elders and wives meeting, we were talking about how social action needs to be a, a higher priority. How can we do something to love the people in Fairham who need? So we want to be a generous, generous church. And we want all of you to be a part of that big, big generosity. Because that's what Christ wants. He doesn't want a greedy church. He wants a radically generous church. So we've seen Jesus in righteous anger in the temple. And that moment teaches us about what he cares about. He loves prayer and he hates greed. And there's so more I could say about this passage. I've actually got two more points, but I think I'm just going to stop and invite us to respond. So I could say, look at verse 14, the power of Christ to heal. Isn't it amazing? I could say, look at verse 15 and the children praising him. And we're called to be people who praise Jesus Christ, to sing him praise. But actually, I just think let's just respond to what I've already preached. Those those things that are taught to us through this temple moment. If you can, I, I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite you to stand. And I want to invite you to close your eyes so no one is watching you at this moment. And I'm going to lead us in two prayers of confession and prayers for change. So firstly, I would love you to take action and to raise your hand if you want to confess to to God that you have been prayerless in your life, that you want to pray more, that you want to create more space to pray. Let's just raise your hand as a way of confessing that to God before I lead us in in prayer for that. Lord Jesus, Lord God, we thank you that we have relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ's death upon the cross, through his ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, we confess that we do not take advantage of that glorious, glorious gift as often as we ought. That we go hours, days, weeks without praying to you, without entering into your presence. Forgive us, Father, for that. And may we be zealous and passionate for prayer, just like Jesus. I thank you that he was passionate that people would meet with the Father in the temple. And he's passionate that people like us would meet with the Father today in prayer, Lord God. So make us a praying people. Make us a praying church through Jesus Christ, who has opened up the way. Change us in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Pour out the Spirit now as we respond, that we would be changed to be more prayerful. I want you to do the same for greed. If you feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted you on greed this morning as I've preached, I want you to do the same. Hold up your hand and say, Lord, that was me. That was me. Heavenly Father, we confess greed in our lives. We confess that we have yearned after more stuff, 
more than we have yearned after your presence in our lives. And we just want to ask for your forgiveness and your help. Have mercy upon us and change us so that the greatest desire of our hearts would be your presence, your, your love, being with you. Lord, I pray that Christ would come and drive out any greed in our hearts which is keeping us from relationship with you. Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Make us a radically generous people because you are a radically generous God. Thank you, Lord, for your movement in us and your transformation. Let me just do one more while we're stood and responding. If there was a word that was brought during today's service and you thought that was for you and you want to respond again in prayer, perhaps you're the person praying over and over and over again for someone that Flavia brought, or you're a person who feels trapped in a a forest and needs to know that, that God sees you and that he is alongside you and with you and you want to respond to that, would you just raise your hand as well? I want to pray for you. Or maybe... You're not a Christian, but you're excited by something you've heard today or something that you've experienced. And you want to say, Lord, I want, I want in. I want in on this. I want to know the Father in heaven. I want to know the creator of the universe. Would you just raise your hand if that's you? Okay. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for the person who feels trapped in a forest, Lord. Speak to them. Draw alongside them. May they know your presence. And I pray in their hearts they would know that they are not alone, that you see what they are going through. And I thank you that there is freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd bring freedom in their hearts. But more than that, they would know this relationship with the Father that Jesus is so zealous for. I pray that in in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to pray for this person who keeps praying over and over again. feels like they might be in a tailspin and giving up on prayer. Lord, give them perseverance to keep going. I thank you that in the prayer there is blessing and anointing and power, Lord. So keep them going to you in prayer, calling out on your name. And Lord, I want to pray for the person responding who may never have known you as God. Lord, today would you come, grant faith, transform their hearts, make them alive not just for this life, but for the eternal life to come. May they know God, you as Father, and it not just be a word, but be a genuine reality of their relationship with you. May they know that Jesus loved them so much that they died for you, that he gave their life for you, um, that they might be forgiven and have eternal life. So Lord, just teach those truths to this person's heart. Overwhelm them, Lord, with your presence now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and come to an end in our meeting, I just want to emphasise this. Why is prayer so important? Because Christ has made a way for us to have relationship with the Father. It's a glorious, joyous thing. It's not, this isn't a heavy word. It might feel, maybe it feels like a heavy word right now. I don't want it to be a heavy word. I want it to be, you are invited to come into the presence of God the Father and for him to hear you when you pray and for him to respond to you and to have genuine relationship. It's a glorious joy. Why is greed so unnecessary? Because we are the children of God and we have him. It's not that God's saying, it's not that God is denying us and saying, I don't want you to have that. No, he's saying, I'm giving you myself and relationship with me is so wonderful. It it surpasses all those other things that you desire in your heart that you greed after. So it's not it's not a heavy word. It's a joyous word that God is so good and we have him and he's with us. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. And so if I don't want anyone leaving feeling guilty, but perhaps convicted in the Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that's the, the 
we receive this word with joy and with conviction to change rather than a heavy word of feeling condemned. That's not how I intend it and that's not what God intends. He, he doesn't intend to condemn us. He intends to welcome us into his presence. So Lord, may we be filled with joy because of prayer and filled with joy because we have you and therefore we need not greed. We love you, Lord, and we want to walk in prayer and we want to walk in radical generosity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.